enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast of the Cape Elizabeth Church of the Nazarene. We welcome you to join us in a study of God's Word today. May God open your heart and mind as you listen to the eternal truths found in His Word. I remember before um, coming to Cape Elizabeth that I was working in South Portland. In many respects, I was working in a pastoral role, but I was also working as a child care center director. In doing that, we would have regular surprise visits, usually about twice a year, at least once, sometimes twice a year, from someone represented in the state who would come and make sure that we were doing everything appropriately and that things were safe. And, uh, and that was okay, that was fine, I got along for just, just well with her. And there was a rule of thumb on those surprise visits when she would come and she would tell us whether or not things were up to code, whether or not things were the, the perfectly safe for the children. Uh, the, the thing was this, it doesn't matter if there's an issue, what matters is whether or not you fix it. <laughs> if you don't fix it, then the next time she comes over, there's going to be a problem. And you're probably going to get a little bit more frequent visits. And so it didn't matter whether it was something small, like, uh, you know, putting in the uh, outlet covers, or whether it was something much more major, like, oh, the, the wood chips are looking sparse. You need more wood chips on the playground because all no kids are falling all over the place. And so, you know, that has to happen. Or, you know, they check the the temperature in the sink to make sure that the heat regulator was working because the last thing you want is scalding hands in your child care center. And so, so there would, there, you know, and a myriad of other things that would get checked. And that was okay. That was okay. But sometimes she would say something and we would have to fix something. And it would cost a little bit of money, sometimes a little bit more than we were anticipating initially. But that's okay. The issue at hand was making sure we had the safest environment for the children under our care. But that is sometimes not always the opinions of people, when, particularly when uh, it's going to cost resources to make things a little bit safer or to, or to make sure that the people are taken care of. I remember when we were first married, Jen uh, told me a story. She was asked, she was in the process of applying uh, for a, a journalist position, but in the meanwhile, us newlyweds needed to find work, and there was a guy in our church who said, hey, Jen, I have a new vision for, he, was, he owned the McDonald's in the area, and he said, I have a new vision for the Playland that wouldn't just be a Playland, but it would be like this reading center, education center as well, and there would be activities and birthday parties there and planning, and, and this is going to be the most community-involved Playland ever. And so she, he hired Jen to kind of, kind of lead that up. And one of the things she realized is they also had an inspection. And there was a person who came by to make sure, like, the padding underneath the steps and the slides to the playground extended so far because if a kid falls... They don't want them falling on the hard floor. They want them falling on the padding. So there's a rule about how many inches it had to extend. And so, so the guy goes there the, to, to measure, and the owner says, oh, let me hold this end of the tape measure for you. And she noticed while he's holding the end of the tape measure, and the guy's walking tape measure to the other, he's kind of pushing it just a little bit with his foot to kind of change that measurement and make sure that, uh, you know, he passes. Because it would have been expensive. To fix. I had a guy in my church in Arkansas who uh, uh, did safety inspections for all kinds of manufacturing 
uh, companies. There's a lot of manufacturing building uh, that happened where we were in Arkansas. We were just 45 minutes from Walmart headquarters. And so what sprung up all in Northwest Arkansas is all kinds of different plants that are getting their goods ready because they're going to get on the trucks that are going to get sent out to Walmarts across the nation. So it could be anything from uh, Lazy Boy factories to uh, uh, green bean canning factories to chicken processing plants to all kinds of different things as you can imagine. And so there's one guy who was in charge of like the safety of all this. And, and so he would go to these different places and make sure that they fit. And he, and he said to me once, I said, you'd be surprised how many times they'll, when they tell me someone got injured or something happened, I go and I say, well, that's because I told you you were supposed to fix X, Y, or Z, and you didn't because you were complaining to me about how much that was going to cost you, and now you have to deal with workman's comp and maybe a lawsuit and maybe other issues, and like, like just fix the things I tell you to fix. But sometimes you gotta, people will cut those corners at the expense of those underneath them. And that's perhaps some employment areas, but I remember, man, was it a decade ago? I remember hearing about some wealthy investor who realized that there was a necessary medicine. It was essential for some, some, for some conditions that people had and realized that there was one medicine on the market for this. And so he bought them out. And then he jacked up the price 2,000%. Something that they used to be able to get for like eight bucks was now $250. And all of a sudden, so, so it, it created an uproar when this happened. Like, how can you do that? And you know where all the profits went. The profits went to the lawyers to make sure that uh, the generic brands were delayed in getting their medicine approved so that he could continue it. There's an issue, right? When you gain resources at the expense of other people, when you purposely make sure, hey, you know what, I don't care if you get hurt, I don't care if you have to suffer, as long as I can bring in more, this is okay, right? That's, some people have that mindset. And uh, we're going to read a passage of Scripture today that addresses that. It's in Zechariah chapter 11. Now, we're reading some interesting passages of Scripture today. If you, read, uh, if you heard uh, uh, Paulie and, uh, and uh, a passage from... Um, uh, and, uh, and our gospel passage from Bruce, you heard about those, uh, those passages. Okay, those aren't ones we usually hear on a Sunday morning. Those are a little different, but they're all related, and I'll show you how in a little bit. But this passage in Zechariah is also kind of reflecting the passage in Matthew. If you've been with us, of course, through all these weeks, we have been kind of walking through the Old Testament references in Matthew to kind of give us some background to what the gospels are talking about. And so we're, we're in Zechariah chapter 11 today. I'm going to start uh, today at verse 4. It says, um, Thus said the Lord my God. I'm sorry, and this, is, this is like, and this is also a strange passage because it's like a sermon illustration. So we've jumped into the middle of the prophet warning the people of God about what is about to happen. And, I've get, and, uh, and Zechariah is warning them about an oncoming exile, and what he is giving is a sermon illustration. So there's a lot of analogy here. Verse 4, Thus says the Lord my God, be a shepherd of the flock doomed to slaughter. Those who buy them, kill them, and go unpunished. Those who sell them, say, well, blessed be the Lord, for I have become rich. And their own shepherds have no pity on them. For I will no longer have pity on the inhabitants of the earth, says the Lord. I will cause them every one to fall each into the hand of a neighbor and each into the hand of the king, and they shall devastate the earth, and I will deliver no one 
from their hand. Let me pause here. Right, right off the bat, three groups emerge in this story. We have one, the flock or the sheep. That's one group. Another group is those who are buying and selling the sheep. We call them sheep merchants if you want. They're the people buying and selling. And then you have the shepherd. Three important groups emerge right off the bat in this illustration. Now the sheep is a co- or the flock is a common metaphor for the people of God in Scripture. Uh, this is based kind of on their pastoral society, a lot of herding going on. And the sheep was often this kind of metaphor for God's people. And so, so it's a good way to understand this, that he is talking about the, uh, the people within their kingdom. That this is God's chosen people. And, and it has a plan and a purpose for them. And, but the people, or the sheep, are doomed to slaughter. This is, this is those who are getting ready to go into exile. The, the bad guys are coming. They're going to be taken away, and life's going to be terrible. And he warns them that, hey, this is, this is what has happened. Now, we're going to find out a little bit more about those who are buying and selling the sheep, those sheep merchants. We're going to find out more about them in just a few verses. But what we know right now is that they are concerned with one thing and one thing only, their prophets. And it says, and they are without pity. They, are, they, are, they don't care at all about the sheep. They're just, hey... I just, I just hope I make some more money, and if I do, I'm just going to praise God that I made more money. Uh, I, another guy uh, who was in my church in Arkansas was another guy who was involved in quality control. But he was involved in quality control for a lot of the chicken farms that were in the area. Like Tyson's a major manufacturing plant in, in Arkansas, and, like, and so like a lot of people had their own chicken farms. And I remember talking with him one time because... There was a lot of conversation about the difference between like, like free-range chickens and not free-range, all those kinds of things. I asked him, I said, what do you encounter and, and what happens here? And he says to me, he says, you know, a lot of people make a big deal about free-range because, uh, you know, uh, they want to be ethical and all that kind of stuff. He says, but really the only difference is how big the cage is because even free-range have a fence around them. Uh, and so, so he says, but he says, but here's the thing. He says, we care very much about how all these places are treating their chickens. We absolutely do. Because, he says, the most vulnerable part of the bird is the wing. And if they're being mistreated or things are going right, those are going to break. And let me tell you, there's a lot of money in chicken wings. <laughs> and so like, he, he, just, he just let us know, hey, hey so, so we care about that. But in this, in this story, the, the, the impression you get is, yeah, they care about the, the prophets, but they don't care about who's breaking along the way. They don't care about what's happening. And so no concern for the sheep, just uh, in all that, uh, kill them, they'll go unpunished, and they'll sell them, just do whatever they want. They're just, in, they're just concerned about the prophets. That's the sheep merchants there. Verse 5 even says, even the shepherds have no pity on them. Now, the shepherds are often an analogy for the king. The shepherd is that whom God has anointed to take care of the sheep. And the greatest example of that is the shepherd king. Remember when we talked about David? David, uh, and we told the story of David and Goliath. And David is the one who uh, started off as a shepherd. In fact, when he sees Goliath taunting Israel, or taunt, uh, he goes up and he says, Hey, you know what? Uh, I used to face lions and bears who attacked my sheep. I can... I can attack this Philistine, not a problem. And so uh, David goes and attacks him. And this idea of the king is the shepherd, that analogy stays with the people because he's supposed to guide the people, not only in their worship of God, but also in exercising justice and mercy in their land. A big part of the Old Testament kind of uh, uh, 
critique about how they live their life is, hey, you were once an enslaved people, now you've been delivered to the promised land. You have to remember God's grace in your life and extend it to the alien and the orphan and the widow in your lands. This is a part of your identity as the people of God. So the kings were meant to shepherd their people, helping them to seek justice, mercy, and to follow the Lord. The problem is that those who have been entrusted to take care of their people aren't taking care of the flock. They're just interested in wealth. They're just interested in their riches. And so what's happening is the poor are getting poorer and the rich are getting richer. Tale as old as time, it seems. And so uh, this is kind of the setting for Zechariah chapter 11. Let me continue on with... uh, Oh, I'm sorry, and in verse 6, the Lord is incensed by this, right? And he seems to take a page out of the flood narrative. Remember when we read the flood story not too long ago? There we learned that because of all the violence in the world, the waters rose in violence against creation. And now it seems that if they're not going to have pity on those whom they're exploiting for their own profits, well, the Lord's not going to have mercy on them either, is what verse 6 seems to say. Says, all right, well, maybe it's not destruction, but uh, it ain't a whole lot better. And it's just an example of what you are doing only leads to a continuation that inevitably will bite you. Verse 7. So, on behalf of the sheep merchants, I became the shepherd of the flock doomed to slaughter. I took two staves. One I named Favor, the other I named Unity, and I tended the sheep. In one month I dispersed of the three shepherds, for I had become impatient with them, and they also detested me. So I said, I will not be your shepherd. What is to die, let it die. What is to be destroyed, let it be destroyed. Let those that are left devour the flesh of one another. And I took my staff Favor, broke it, annulling the covenant that I had made with all the peoples. So it was annulled on that day. And the sheep merchants who were watching me, knew that it was the word of the Lord. I then said to them, If it seems right to you, will give me my wages. But if not, keep them. And so they weighed out as my wages 30 shekels of silver. Then the Lord said to me, Throw it into the treasury, this lordly price at which I was valued by them. So I took the 30 shekels of silver, threw them into the treasury in the house of the Lord. Then I broke the second staff unity, annulling the family ties between Judah and Israel. Zechariah says here, you know, I'm going to step in where the leaders have failed. I'm going to play the role of the shepherd, the one who's supposed to guide the people. And so he steps in and, and, he, and, he, and he takes as a further illustration, he takes two staves. And he says, hey, I have one that's called favor and one that's called unity. Now favor, this is a word that shows up again and again in Scripture. Favor, grace, mercy, Loving kindness, favor, this idea that God looks upon His creation, looks upon His people with mercy is an important word. It shows up again and again in our scriptures. It is a a word that indicates God desires to continue His relationship with you. He wants that covenant with you. He wants that promise. Hey, I said I was going to be your God. I was going to be with you, and you're going to be my people. This, we're in this together. And he continues on in telling the story. In verse 8, he talks about three disposed shepherds. Before the exile, there's three kings. Their reigns don't last very long. Each of their reigns is the continuation of the person before that. Hey, let me just see how much longer I can last. Let me see how much more comfortable I can make my palace. And so they, again, no interest in God's will for the people. 
They reign for just a brief period of time before they're carried off. And so the people had thought during their reign, you know, an exile's never going to happen. We're never going to be defeated. They were certain the promise of their nation lasting forever was a part of God's plan. This is a part of God's promise. This is His covenant. And in the most compelling illustration, Zechariah takes the staff called favor and he breaks it. Signifying the covenant as they understand it doesn't work. It's annulled. Their understanding was God has created blessing no matter what we have done wrong and it doesn't matter how we live towards God. God is going to continue to honor our lives. And I think sometimes when we try to create our own little heaven on earth. Now, on the one hand, it's good to to seek heaven on earth. Like that's a part of the Lord's prayer, right? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But when we try to create our own little heaven, our own little, uh, 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 I, I want my life here to be as good today as it's ever going to be in the future. Often it's done at the expense of other people, taking advantage of them. And then we say, well, God's blessed me. God's looked favorably upon me. Look at all that I've I've got. And the prophet is clear in chapter 11, creating wealth, particularly when it relies on the exploitation of other people, is contrary to the will of God. We need to take that very idea, that idea that, hey, as long as I've made my life good here, it's okay. As long as uh, we need to kind of lift up that staff of my wealth equals God's blessings and break that in two. That covenant will not last. That kind of health and wealth, as long as I'm making money, I'm in God's will, that covenant doesn't last. That is never and was never the covenant God laid out. There are blessings associated with what God laid out, but what God promised is, I'm going to lead you, save you, and deliver you, and you in turn are going to extend that grace to the world around you. As the prophet continues, we start to get an idea of who's who's selling and buying the sheep and who they are. Now they're finally called sheep merchants, the term I had used earlier. Uh, Let me give you a hint at who they are, the people who are buying and selling the sheep. In this passage, they're located near the temple treasury. And they're able to discern from Zechariah whether or not his message is a word from the Lord. They're the leaders of the church who have become rich by aligning themselves with the will of the immoral shepherds and the kings that were called to lead God's people. They've succumbed to the will and whim of their leader, and as long as it still means they get their privileges, still means that they get to try to gather their money, they're okay with that. And so they're going to act as agents of the state. They're going, to, they're going to do whatever they need to do. As long as the state doesn't touch their benefits or their income, they're okay. That's the sheep merchants. And so when Zechariah says, okay, well, you think this is a word of the Lord. Uh, if you want to treat me as a prophet and pay me, go ahead. And they, they do. They give him 30 pieces of silver measured out. And Zechariah, um, it's given to uh, Zechariah because, you know, hey, he's, he's fulfilled his prophetic role. Here you go. They've agreed As hard as it is, what he's saying is true about God's covenant, about God's plan, about how we were supposed to treat people, about about indeed the danger that is coming. And the money acquired, but God tells him 
that, uh, to throw it into the treasury, to refuse the kind of dirty money, if you will, the money acquired off the broken backs of sheep who are uncared for or were manipulated, it would not be accepted by Zechariah. His throwing the silver back into the temple is, in a, is not a renunciation of money in and of itself, but it is a statement against receiving money received because you haven't had care for your fellow person. It's a statement against exploitations that happen in an economy whose only care in the world is more growth. What happens then when the only concern is wealth or power or influence? What happens when the only thing you care about is making sure you can keep this ship going? Keep this, uh, uh, the, the, this money flow going? Well, it creates division. Might I suggest that I think some of the reasons for much of the disunity that we experience today, even in our nation, is not because of differences of opinion, although those differences of opinion can be very great, but because we have two factions and representatives of each faction who only care more about securing wealth and power and influence and a continuation of their word. And all the while, the sheep pay the price. And so Zechariah takes the staff of unity and says it's broken. It's done. Judah and Israel are going to be separated and carried off by two different nations and there's no real hope of reuniting as long as that is the way we work. Verse 15 to 17 says, Then the Lord said to me, Take once more the implements of a worthless shepherd. For I am now raising up in the land a shepherd who does not care for the perishing, or seek the wandering, or heal the maimed, or nourish the healthy, but devours the flesh of the fat ones, tearing off even their hooves. O oh, my worthless shepherd who deserts the flock, may the sword strike his arm and his right eye, let his arm be completely withered, his right eye utterly blinded. That's not a good word. At least he says he doesn't like the shepherd that's uh, doing all this, but the fact that he's raising up this worthless shepherd is, is a signification that he says, hey, What's going to happen next is even worse. You think you got where you got because of who you were able to trample down? What's going to happen next is going to be even worse. And he's talking about the king of Babylon who's going to come in and take them away. And he's not in favor of them. Someone who acts in the role of, uh, of the person who cleans house isn't, isn't in the will of God. I mean, I mean, there is a curse there for that person as well. But he warns them. He says, hey, you have played by these rules the rules of the world, and you're going to die by the rules of the world because of this new shepherd who is coming, this new king who's coming to take you over. And this story had stayed with them, had stayed with this, this prophecy, kind of stayed with them in their minds uh, for generations, and stays with them all the way until Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew is written, and until Judas Iscariot in Matthew chapter 27. And we heard that read for us. Judas Iscariot is the disciple who followed Jesus, who turns him over, who receives 30 shekels of silver, the same amount as Zechariah receives, receives that and sells Jesus to them. He just says, hey, here you go. I'll tell you where he is, tell you where you can find him. You bring the soldiers, you carry him away. And when we hear the story of Judas, we know that he takes the silver afterwards and realizes he's messed up. 
And he throws the silver back into the temple, just like Zechariah does. There's this way of saying, this money that you've given me came from immoral purposes, and he doesn't want anything else to do with this. When we hear this story, we we come to take this phrase, sold for 30 pieces of silver. Now the story of Judas is a story that's kind of stayed with us for a while. When we hear that someone sold out for 30 pieces of silver, what we mean is they betrayed somebody for their money. When we use it to talk about a politician, we say, oh, they made promises, but when they got in office and the lobbyists started talking to them, they changed their mind. When we say it's about someone who we work with, we're saying, oh man, they stabbed me in the back for their promotion, or for their raise. They got their 30 pieces of silver. The story of Judas has been a story that, hey, if, if, if you are sell out the one whom you love for 30 pieces of silver, you are this Judas. But in Matthew, at this time, When he throws the 30 pieces of silver, he has in mind the story of Zechariah. He has in mind that, hey, this is what the prophet does to say, what you have done is utterly wrong and adverse to the way of God. When he throws it back, he recognizes the worst offense has occurred. Jesus the Savior has been crucified. You see, he recognized what's happened. He's played the role of the crooked merchant. He's misled the sheep so badly that they're even going to shout crucify him to their very Savior without his ever having to explicitly even say anything to them. He's done his job. He sold out the Lord for some silver. And all those who have been injured along the way, well, now they're just going to follow suit with him. He's played the role of the crooked merchant. And so the day after the crucifixion, I think Judas realizes he's messed up. There's no more Savior. There's no more hope. All that is left is whatever other leaders rise up afterwards to continue the exploitation. People who will never care about the sheep. No wonder he finds an empty field and a noose to go with it. Can there be a greater despair than knowing you've destroyed the hope of the entire world? And it is here in Zechariah 11 where the prophecy leaves us. Despairing, wondering what happens next. If the end world is indeed just this, just this world of, oh, well, there's just going to be another king who continues on this, this thing. Oh, well, the world's just going to continue this way. In a dog-eat-dog world, you're just going to have to eat dog to get ahead. If this is where the prophecy leads us despairing, then, then what happens next? Ultimately, whatever shepherd arises is going to seek its own will. But yet, Matthew recognized that the next king, or the one after them, or the one after them, they don't get the final word. In fact, he kind of confuses the story a little bit. Zechariah or Jeremiah, those stories get merged. Zechariah throws the 30 pieces of silver in just like Judas is, but it is, it is Jeremiah who buys the field And he buys the field as they're on their way to exile because God had a promise. And the promise is this, you will come back. You will come back and you will be able to claim this field. In fact, if you want to buy it or sell it or any of the fields around, you're going to be able to do it because I have a plan and I have a hope despite whatever comes next. 
And so Matthew reminds us and tells us and speaks to us in context of hearing in Zechariah, oh, it looks like it's just going to be business as usual in the world. He says, our place and our hope is to recognize that there is indeed a resurrection where God miraculously does for the body of Jesus what He did for the people of God out of Exodus. He raises Him up and provides for us a hope and a future. And our place today is to find ourselves, say, in a world where indeed we still find ourselves with shepherds that are not doing God's will. We still find ourselves in a world where there are still people who act as, I'm going to buy and sell whatever i got to do, and I don't care who it hurts. As long as I'm blessed, I'm going to say it's the Lord's will. Find ourselves saying, how do we navigate this kind of world? And for Matthew, it's this way of remembering that we are a people of the resurrection, and we are to live into that resurrection. And that's what we mean when we say, your kingdom come and and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want to live in the hope of the resurrection, be a people who continue to share that hope with the world around us, that indeed those shepherds, those merchants don't get the last word. And to live in that hope, rather rather than to live in the the actions of this world that just continues to live in every moment of exploitation, just, hey, as long as I can get more, as long as I can get more, that ultimately we will remember to live in the hope of God's provision, God's favor, God's reconciliation, because He is indeed the God who desires, nonetheless, to truly reconcile, to truly heal, because we will be a people who embrace and model God's mercy, His favor, his love in our world. It is my hope today that if we hear anything from Zechariah chapter 11, as despairing as a word it is, we might hear indeed the call to take seriously God's desire to live with us and His call placed upon our life to exercise His grace in the world around us. Let's pray together. (coughs) Heavenly Father, I thank you that we can find, even in obscure passages, even in references that often just kind of, in our readings, just kind of skim over or find ourselves saying, well, what is this about? But Lord, we can still find indeed hope and find a word of caution and a word of action for us as well. And so, Heavenly Father, I pray that... um, in all of our dealings and all of our activities, that we will remember that you have called us to love all people for whom our work and our relationships bring us into contact with. And Heavenly Father, help us to be good shepherds of those whom you put in our life. For Lord, uh, you are the example of what that looks like. Help us indeed, Heavenly Father, to step in where others have failed and to extend your grace and mercy. Amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's sermon. More sermons are available online at our website, capenazarene.org. Our website also includes instructions for subscribing to our podcast so you can have a message delivered to you weekly. May God bless you abundantly as you serve Him today.